0: Hello and welcome, it's On Mike with Jordan Rich. Great to have you aboard. Today we go deep. I'm talking really deep. I want you to listen to the audio of a trailer for a new IMAX film that is breathtaking. The film is called Ancient Caves. The voice you'll recognize is that of
1: award-winning actor Brian Cranston. Science is about finding answers. And how far you'll go to get those answers. One visionary scientist is on an epic quest to understand Earth's climate. Dr. Gina Mosley is looking for clues in the most remote and unlikely places. Caves. Stalagmites, thousands of years old, reveal secrets from the past. But some are accessible only to a brave few. At 300 feet below the Earth's surface, there is no light, no air, no room for error. this adventure into the world's most hidden realms and find out what it takes to solve Earth's greatest mysteries. Ancient Caves, a film for IMAX and giant screen theaters.
0: Well, if that sounds awesome, it looks even more amazing. The film is called Ancient Caves. It's an IMAX presentation directed by Emmy Award-winning underwater cinematographer and New England native Jonathan Bird. And Jonathan teams up with a great friend of mine, Art Cohen, who's the writer of the piece and a whole lot more. We're about to delve into the making of the movie and explore together Ancient Caves as we go on The film looks remarkable. I can't wait to see it. Maybe by the time this podcast hits, I will have seen it. But gentlemen, Jonathan and Art, congratulations on a magnificent piece of work.
2: Thank you. Yes, thank you very much.
0: The two of you have collaborated in the past. Can we talk a little bit about your history working together? Uh, Art, we'll start with you. How did you meet up with this guy?
2: Well, I used to work for an organization that did educational television, it's called called MSET, and Jonathan came in to do some uh, curriculum on underwater um, biology. He had some video. He just started shooting underwater film on an 8 millimeter, I think, back in the day. <laughs> and so uh, he would come in and show some of his film and talk to students over a satellite connection that we had set up. And in the course of uh, working with him on that program, I realized that uh, I thought he had a lot of skill and potential may I use the word genius? And so I started working with him. Yes. And we've made a bunch of films together. We made a bunch of television documentaries, underwater nature films on sharks and manatees and a variety of other subjects. And, um, that's how it started.
0: I noticed, Jonathan, when you said genius art, he put his thumb up and said, yes, way to go. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> being referred to as a
3: genius works for me. I don't know if I'm a genius or not, but uh, <laughs> take well, it. I'll take it where I can get it. you're, you're certainly... Yeah, I mean, when I, um, w- when I started diving, I was just uh, interested in underwater photography as an extension of being interested in above water photography. Um, then when I started shooting video, it was, you know, really f- From being a still photographer, and I didn't really know anything about video production. And when I met Art and we started working together, uh, you know, he became kind of like my mentor. I learned filmmaking from Art. You know, I knew how to run a camera underwater, but I didn't know the first thing about making a film. And so uh, it's been a really good partnership uh, over the years. Art gets seasick. He doesn't come on the boat, you know, he stays back. And uh, in fact, I actually got him seasick once with my driving. So that's how seasick he gets or how bad my driving is. And uh, and yeah. And so we've been working together uh, ever since I do the I do the underwater filming and he makes it into a beautiful story.
0: Ancient Caves is an amazing story, and these are uh, sites that most human beings are are seeing for the first time. Let's talk about the idea behind it and the fact that you've got a young lady, Dr. Gina Mosley, as our uh, center attraction here. Tell me a little bit about her and about the origin of the film, Jonathan.
3: You know, so I got interested in cave diving a few years ago just because we were doing a bunch of Blue World episodes in caves and I was fascinated with it. And at the same time, I had been looking for an idea for a giant screen film. And, you know, we were thinking sharks because sharks always sell. Mm. Um, but one of the things that inspires me in giant screen is the Mubar Omni Theater because this was my theater when I was younger. And um, so I grew up with the idea that the the hemispherical screen of of that theater was what IMAX really was. And I didn't actually know that there were also flat screen IMAX theaters. So the first time I went into a flat screen IMAX theater, I was like, what is this? It's not it's not a dome. So my, I was influenced by wanting to make a film that would look great on this screen. And so, you you know, in a hemispherical screen, you really want to have things to see all around you. Mm. And a bunch of sharks in the blue, that's not going to be as compelling as a cave so when i was first in a cave and i saw this i was like this is the subject but then well how do you find a story around cave diving we can't just go cave diving so art and i started digging into what kind of science is being done in caves you know what what kind of science is there to talk about and we found out that there's a whole world of science being done in caves and that sort of led us down to finding gina
0: Art, in terms of the locales, even though you weren't diving in the caves yourselves, <laughs> this is a film that's international, obviously, all kinds of places. What are some of the, the highlighted cave uh, locations?
2: Well, the, the most uh, highlighted cave is the uh, Crystal Cave in the Bahamas. And uh, it just looks like a puddle on the ground when you first look at it. But it, it, it is the entrance to an underwater Taj Mahal, I think really that's the only way to think about it. The the absolute formations in room after room of that cave that goes on forever are just beautiful, unbelievable, built up over eons, centuries of time. And uh, we also visited a, a cave in the Mojave Desert. Believe it or not, there's an underwater cave in the Mojave Desert. It's an aquifer that goes hundreds and hundreds of feet underground. Nobody knows how far. Um, And uh, there's not much life in there and there's not any stalagmites or stalactites, but it is mysterious and eerie and very beautiful. Those are the two major underwater caves, Jonathan.
3: Yes. And we, and we visited, you know, a bunch of other places um, that weren't featured quite as heavily in the underwater part of the film, but we went to caves in France, Minnesota, believe it or not, um, the Yucatan Um, And uh, we even made it up to Iceland.
0: She's a paleoclimatologist. So let's get to the crux here. The science has to do with studying the history of Earth's climate. Can you explain what she's all about and what she's trying to investigate?
2: Uh, a scientist who studies the earth's ancient climate she's trying to figure out how it works and what are the things that you know cause it to change and how rapidly it changes and one of the things that she needed to know was very curious about is how quickly sea level changes as an ice age recedes this may be very relevant because our uh, uh, ice is melting the glaciers are melting and sea level is rising but she's looking at the ancient climate to see how it happened before. And the only way to find out about sea level rise is by using, I'm trying to remember now, stalactites from caves. These things are like, they have tree rings and you can cut them in half, you can analyze them and you can figure out, you can age them and figure out what was going on above the cave at various times in the Earth's history and Mm. figure out what was going on with sea level. Jonathan,
0: you've seen a lot underwater and above water. Would this film be the one that sort of blows everything else out of the water, no pun intended, in terms of visuals? I
3: I would say that this is by far the best film we've ever made. Um, Visually, it's incredibly compelling. Um, It's just beautiful. And if you can see it in a dome, which you can in Boston... It's as close as you're gonna to get to being in these caves without actually being in them it it's really it's really impressive to be in the theater surrounded by uh all these formations just like you were when you when we were filming.
0: How dangerous was the shoot because it looks perilous at times and it's action adventure as well as science. What kind of perils were there?
3: Well, you know. Cave diving is always billed as the world's most dangerous sport. Um, And it kind of got that reputation um, back in the day when the sport was not very well developed for safety. These days, cave diving that is done properly with the right equipment, with the right training and following the rules is quite safe. Um, We certainly did not feel like we were in any danger Uh, Making the film, Uh, certainly in a few cases, we were inconvenienced um, being stuck or something, um, but never, never in danger. The audience will probably not perceive it that way because a a scuba diver that's been cave driving for a long time has a different threshold for what seems risky and what doesn't. (laughs) Just like I will never go skydiving, but skydivers are like, dude, it's nothing. You just jump out of a plane with a parachute. Uh, Uh, You know, I'm not going to be doing that. it seems very scary to me. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm wondering, though, you've been all over underneath the water. Were there strange creatures that you didn't expect to bump into in your travels?
3: Um, I mean, yeah, all over the world, uh, we've bumped into great creatures um in the caves there's not a tremendous amount of life there are blind cave fish and there are blind shrimp and there are blind uh, crayfish so there are a few um small animals that live in the caves but you're certainly uh, not going to find a cave monster that's going to eat you um the uh definitely the the better marine life encounters are, are had in the ocean where you know we've worked all over the world with you know, great white sharks and sperm whales and everything in between.
0: Art, uh, the process of putting a film like this together, and you've been a filmmaker for a long time, uh, it's not just the work in the field, which is immense, but it's all the background work. Take us through sort of a timeline as to how this all came
2: together. Well, in the very beginning, you know, we have to figure out the story. You have to know what you want to shoot and what's necessary to tell the story. So we had to figure that out. And since there was a lot of science involved, Um, we spent a lot of time talking with the scientists. Uh, We worked with a scientist at the University of Minnesota named Larry Edwards, who was um, Gina's uh, teacher at one point. I think they're colleagues now. We really had to understand a lot of complicated stuff. A lot of it didn't make it, it into the film, but we nevertheless had to understand it before we could figure out what caves we wanted to shoot, what we wanted to shoot, what we wanted to show. And so there was all of that. And then after the film was done, there was a lot of work on the script with Gina, uh, trying to make sure that we explained the science correctly. And it went through a lot of changes as we adjusted the script to make it simple enough, but also just right.
0: The visuals are stunning. And Jonathan, um, having seen your work in the past, and and I do love documentaries. uh, My Octopus Teacher is one of my favorites. It won the Academy Award. And the photography underwater now is so much far advanced than it was even a few years ago. Can you talk a little bit about the developments in technology that enable us to see these things like never before?
3: Yeah, I mean, the hallmark of IMAX films for the longest time was that they were shot on 65 millimeter motion picture film in a 15 per format, which is to say that the negative is, you know, gigantic. Um, it's I'm trying to imagine what it what is the size of that you could visualize in your mind, but it's something like nine times the size of a standard piece of 35 millimeter film with, with a negative on it kind so, of like
2: as big as a playing card maybe
3: yeah that's that, that's a good analogy the image on the film is about the size of a playing card um mm. And so these are big cameras. And when they go into underwater housings, they're even bigger and they would physically not fit in the caves. We were taking them in. I mean, they physically will not go through the rock. Um, And then the other problem is that they require an enormous amount of light. Back 15 years ago, when McGillivray Freeman Films made Journey to Amazing Caves to do the underwater sequence, they had to drill holes through the rock down into the cave from above to put cables down to power lights to, to light up a room of the cave to get one shot. Whereas we were able to carry with us 12 uh, LED lights about the size of a coffee can that are 30,000 lumens apiece, And we could place them around in each room and we could basically light the room almost like a show cave with lights behind the formations, backlighting them. And, you know, we could do all this creative lighting because we had these incredibly powerful battery powered lights And we had a camera that was a digital camera that was much more sensitive to light than a film camera so that we could get away with lower light levels than we would need with film. And so we were working with a red 8K camera um, and we did a big test before we started the film on whether 8K could look as good as 70 millimeter film. And what we found out was that even in daylight where film has its best advantage, 8K looks better than 70 millimeter film. So by adapting to new technologies, um, we shot this. Our film was really the first IMAX film that was shot almost entirely filmless. Um, we did shoot a handful of scenes in 70 just so that we could have some film in it. Um, but it was almost shot completely filmless. One of the first, one of the first IMAX films to do mm-hmm. that. And um, the quality of it is simply amazing.
0: People want to check out the trailer uh, that they can see online just to get a sense. It's it's absolutely breathtaking. Art, uh, another big portion of of the film that will lead to its success is the narration that you wrote, delivered by one of our best American actors, Bryan Cranston. Was he a guy that uh, you had to twist his arm to do it, or was he excited about the project? I'm
2: guessing the latter. He seemed to be excited about the project, but we also paid him very well. <laughs> no, <I> just, <laughs> is a form of arm twisting but he was into it he had watched the film he asked us a lot of questions before uh, we began uh recording he had read the script and he was a consummate professional Uh, you know we were warned uh, you know i would never worked with an actor at that level but we were warned to be very you know uh, careful not to offend him and not to say the wrong thing and this and that But all of that went away as soon as he showed up. He's just a great guy. He was easy to talk to. He took instructions very easily. You know, he's an actor. So when we said, you know, could you pause here or punch that word or highlight that phrase? He got it right away and he would do it and just perfectly almost every time he asked him to do something. So it was really a great experience. Art and I know
0: each other pretty well. It's the age-old issue of the publicist and the the lackey who's concerned, don't talk to the star, don't walk in the star's path, and the star doesn't even know that that's the instruction. It's great. I I, I assumed he was a great guy because I love his work, but he makes what the visuals are even more impressive with his dramatic approach. Really
3: it's do. interesting because at this point I can't even imagine anyone else narrating it like his he's so perfect for it that all the other people that we were considering like now I'm like, no, definitely not. You know, Brian Cranston is the yeah. the voice for this film.
0: You know, you couldn't have timed it better in terms of releasing it. maybe that was intentional with the uh, pandemic and so many people staying away, obviously, from theater experiences. Uh, was it time to come out? just about now, or was it something you had to push back?
3: Well, it actually premiered in March 2020, one week before every IMAX theater in the entire world closed. Mm. We had our big world premiere in St. Paul, was one of the theaters that funded the film. And the film is based a lot around the University of Minnesota. So um, we had a whole bunch of people that worked on the film that were there. Um, And then the pandemic hit and everything got, you know, closed up and And then, uh, you know, everything started opening back up. And so all those contracts that had been signed, um, all those theaters started opening it. So it's just starting to roll out now, even though technically it was done more than a year ago. (laughs)
0: Right. And Art, let's talk about where it is right now. It's at the Museum of Science, the Mugarb, fantastic venue. Will it travel and are there other prints in other markets? Uh, How does that work?
2: Well, there are um, several film prints. Most of the theaters now have converted to digital projectors, so they will not need a film print. But we have made some film prints, and it is playing at, I believe, three theaters in China, which Hmm. still use film, believe it or not. They have dome theaters there. Uh, The other theaters around the country, uh, Jonathan could give us a better idea of the number of dome theaters, but they'll be opening it over the next year, there are several theaters that are playing it now. You can go online at the McGillivray Freeman website and see where it's running. But I expect that most people will be able to see it somewhere in the country in the next year or so as the museums open up the film.
3: Institutional IMAX films are, are not like Hollywood movies, where a Hollywood movie opens in every theater for, you know, two or three weeks and then goes away. All of these theaters are usually associated with a museum or an aquarium, and they will open it when the timing is right for them. And then when when the film opens, they usually run six to 12 months. So, I mean, it'll be running at the Mugar for at least another six to, six to 12 months.
0: What was the length of time for the shoot itself, Jonathan, in terms of locations and placement and all that? Do you recall?
3: Believe it or not, from... From the beginning of production till the end of production, it was about four years. Mm. Uh, it was a little slow getting started at the beginning because we were really learning the giant screen industry and 8K cameras weren't out yet. And we were still considering how we were going to do this with a mixture of film and 6K cameras. And we were, you know, trying to find the story and we were learning a lot Um, but once things really started getting going it was probably about three years um, of solid production one of the things that was actually kind of an interesting challenge with this film most giant screen films are pretty heavily scripted and the story is really well developed at the very beginning this film was done much more like a true documentary than a typical giant screen film is which is to say we were sort of participating in gina's research as it went along and we kind of didn't know how it was going to end because we didn't really know what she was going to find out so when we were looking for money people would always go like so how does it end like let's see the (laughs) script like tell us tell what's the story and we'd be like "Eh, we don't really know how it ends and you know people that are looking to maybe fund your film do not like to hear that. They they really want to know how it ends. And so we kind of didn't know.
0: <laughs> That's the fun of <laughs> science. That's the fun of science. And right. and Gina is a natural, I take it. I mean you, you you get somebody who's so smart and so dedicated to her work, but she's also photogenic and it it really helps to have somebody who can carry the film, I guess.
3: It, you know, it's funny because Gina was not Originally terribly interested in doing it. She's not an attention seeking type of person. She doesn't want to be center stage. Uh, She was really self conscious about being on camera. Uh, You'd never know it watching the film Mm. uh, because she really stepped up. Um, But, you know, once she started seeing how it was coming out and she was like, wow, okay, this is going to be pretty good. Like then she then she really got more into it. But she was very reluctant star at the beginning.
0: (laughs) Well, as somebody who grew up with uh, Jacques Cousteau and the undersea world of what a development and technology and uh, inspiration. And you guys have done an amazing job, not only with this film, but with others. I I just can't say enough about how impressive it is and how many people are going to enjoy it and learn from it. So thank you both, Art Cohen and Jonathan Bird, for your uh, incredible art and finesse and uh, hard work, sweat and equity.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: Underwater cinematographer Jonathan Bird, filmmaker, writer, producer, and fellow broadcaster Art Cohen. The film is called Ancient Caves, playing on IMAX screens throughout the nation. Search for it and see it. You'll be glad you did. Locally in the Boston and New England area, go to MOS.org for the Museum of Science. Thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, the publisher of the podcast, Kenny Carberry and my associates here at Chart Productions in Boston, where we produce all of this stuff. And as always, I thank you, this incredible audience, for your loyalty and dedication. Remember, you can easily subscribe and download to the podcast. And once you do, we're there for you. Go to jordanrich.com for much more. And as always, we sign off by saying be well so you can do good. Take care.